turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Hopefully I gave you enough time to find the Gospel of Mark in the 8th chapter. And I just want to read to you a story uh, today. As we are thinking about the end of a year and we're thinking about the beginning of a new year, Here's one thing that always comes up. Somebody's going to ask you if you have some New Year's resolution. And I don't know if you are the kind of person that sets New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you're the, the, one of the rare kinds of people who sets and then succeeds in your New Year's resolutions. Uh, statistically, they say that by like the 14th day of a new year, most people have already failed in their New Year's resolutions. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to set a New Year's resolution, but I want to offer you some good questions uh, today from a story in the, eighth, uh, in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark that will help you to have a framework or at least a mindset as you come into a new year, whether you want to call it a mindset or a framework or if you want to make some strong decisions or you want to make resolutions, uh, I think that this short story in Mark chapter 8 will help us uh, to ask ourselves some powerful questions so that we can start a year strong. Does that sound good? Jesus, I pray that you would help me to say what is on your heart for your people today. Amen. Amen. In Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22, it says, They came to Bethsaida. Now, this is when it says they, in this context, it is Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. And it says, They brought, to, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Now, we don't know who they is in that context. We don't know who, who brought this blind man. But some group of people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Now, here's where this story gets a little interesting. It says, spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? So at the end of the service today, we're going to have everyone line up, and I'm just going to spit on your face. And, no, I'm kidding. Um, it says in verse 24, it says, he looked up and said, so now Jesus asked him, do you see anything? So the man looks up, and he says, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, then looked intent, intently, and his sight was restored, and, saw, and he saw everything clearly. Then the story ends with this one statement that Jesus says to him, don't even go into the village as he sends the man Home. Now, I'm going to share with you uh, a message today that is one of my all-time favorite end-of-the-year sermons. And so I want to share with you five questions. We're going to move quickly through these five questions. Five questions that you can be asking, inspired by this story of an encounter of a blind man and Jesus, as we begin a new year. So, question number one. What are you bringing to Jesus? That's a good question, right? What is it that you are bringing to Jesus? This story begins with a blind man who is brought to Jesus. We have no idea the context of how he was brought to Jesus, the people that brought him to Jesus. Was it his mom and dad that brought him? Was it his friends? Like there was a paralytic one time who he had four friends who brought him to Jesus and they lowered him through the ceiling to get into Jesus's presence. We don't know actually the context. Mark never tells us who. We just know that he was brought. And, and here's why. And here, I think here's what's important. They brought him to Jesus because there was some level of belief and faith and hope, hope being expectancy, 
that Jesus was a healer. And so right off the bat, this begs the question for us, which parts of your own life would you like to lead to Jesus? That's our first question as we wrap up this year. What are you leading to Jesus? What pain or sickness or brokenness would you ask Jesus to heal in your life as you wrap up a year and begin a new one? Maybe you're just thinking, just heal me from 2021. Just get me out of this year. Bring me into something fresh and new. But what would you bring to Jesus? And I would, I would push you and encourage you to ask the question deeply. What are, those, what are those really meaningful places that you would bring to Jesus? Because there's something about Jesus that he actually seems to love these kinds of moments when brokenness is brought to him. In fact, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He invites you. Once you come, he says, Now take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So again, what is the pain or the sickness or the weariness that you would want to bring to Jesus in exchange for his rest or for his healing? If you, if you have a, a clear answer to that question, Jesus would say to you, come and give me your burden, your blindness, your sickness, your brokenness, your pain, your sadness, and I'll give you my rest. There's something about rest that sounds like not having to strive for for healing or, or for peace. Amen? So restoration begins like it began for a blind man. Restoration begins when broken people meet the restorer. We know that his name is Jesus. We just celebrated his birth, and just like that last song in worship, we know that he is still alive. Amen? And so we celebrate that we can bring our brokenness to Jesus. But we have to remember that God will only heal and restore what we bring to him. So the question again, what are you bringing to Jesus? And I would, I would challenge and invite you, whether you call it a resolution or something else, as you begin 2022, to resolve to bring your pain to Jesus. What, what might your life look like a year from now if you spent an entire year bringing all of your pain to Jesus? I, I, the implication of that question is that you will have pain in 2022. You will have pain in a relationship with Jesus. I was just talking to somebody last night about this very thing, having a hard time putting their faith in Jesus. Because what, why do I still struggle? This person had lost somebody that they love recently to death, and they were trying to understand, wrap their mind around, how can I put faith in this God? And the conversation that always comes up in those moments is that Jesus didn't promise that we would never die. He promised that he overcame the world where we will experience suffering. And so we bring our pain and our suffering to Jesus, knowing that he will bring us rest and peace and even healing in the middle of all that we go through. So I invite you to, to trust as you answer the first question, what are you bringing to Jesus? The second question that I would invite you to ask yourself as you begin a new year is, what would Jesus lead you from? So we ask, 
what would, Je- what would you bring to Jesus? And now we ask, what would Jesus lead you from? Look back at verse 23 with me for a moment. It says, Jesus took the man by the hand and led him out of the village. That is a weird thing to do. This is like, we thought the spitting on, on the face thing is weird. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus has already done a strange thing. We bring a blind man to Jesus and says, awesome, let's get out of here. So he takes a blind man by the hand and leads him out of the village. Now, this is actually significant because it turns out that Jesus had a history with this town named Bethsaida where this, where this, this encounter between Jesus and a blind man had happened. Jesus had actually done miracles in this town before, and they didn't actually receive him as a miracle worker. In fact, they, re- they outright rejected him. And so in Matthew 11, we actually see that Jesus calls out this town, Bethsaida. It says in Matthew 11:20, Jesus proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done for a specific reason, because they had not repented. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. That's the town that we're talking about right now. He says, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which is a town that God had completely eradicated, then if if those miracles had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. That, for the record, is a God-sized burn on a town, right? And then Jesus doubles down on the burn by, when he's approached by, by a blind man to do a miracle, he is so committed to this idea that he won't even perform a miracle in the town anymore. We got to get out of here. Not the whole point of the sermon right now, but it would be good for us to not be the kind of people that are so stubborn and reject God so much that God will not do a miracle in our midst any longer. Again, not the sermon that I'm preaching, but if you wanted to pray for the church or for the nation that you live in in 2022, the prayer could be inspired by this, God Don't give up on us for the places where we have rejected you over and over and over. And for all of the ways that we continue to fail you, like the people of Israel continued to fail you. And then then eventually you said, all right, silence for 400 years, and then the Messiah will finally come, and the new system will be initiated. God, don't give up on Lancaster. Don't give up on Life Church. Don't give up on the Antelope Valley or on California or the United States or on my family or on my life. Don't give up on me. Would you still do a miracle in my life? And and just by the way, as a side note, if you're sitting here wondering, how do I know when I've crossed the line of so many sins or so much doubt that God won't do a miracle in my life, I would just say to you, if if you're genuinely asking that question, then I would say you haven't crossed the line yet. You've crossed the line when you go, yeah, I don't care if God doesn't do miracles in my life. And we we all know people who have crossed that line. Those are the people that we should pray for, as we should also pray the right kinds of prayers for our nation, that God would be still able to do miracles here because there's still found people living in this nation who believe in him. 
Amen? Anyway, let's get back on track. So these people uh, in Bethsaida, they had seen God's power, but but they refused to honor him as a miracle worker and even as the Messiah. And as a result, Jesus wouldn't do miracles in the city. So we, we find out Jesus wasn't just looking for a private conversation with a blind guy. That's not why he led him out of town. He led him out of town because he wanted to get this man out of a faithless environment. There's another story where Jesus goes into a house and there's a girl and he, she was dead and they asked uh, for Jesus to resurrect the girl from the dead and there were people mocking Jesus inside the house and it says once Jesus had put all of those people outside of the house, then he told the girl to raise from the dead and she rose from the dead. This is the inversion of that story. So there are some moments where you get faithlessness out of the room and there's other moments where you get yourself out of faithlessness. Right? And so this is one of those moments where Jesus models a deliverance ministry moment for us by taking a person out of the faithless environment because the environment was limiting God's ability to move in his life. So, are there Bethesda places or Bethsaida places in your life? Are there places in your own relationship with God where you would say, I've, I've lost hope, I've I've lost faith. I, I have my, my belief in God's ability to do anything in my life has grown stagnant or, or dead or stale. Bethsaida could, could be for you a person or a group of people. Maybe you have a group of friends who, and now you might actually think that this, this is the question that would uh, be applicable for like the high school students and we should bring the youth back in and ask them this question. But, but I would ask you this even as adults as well because y'all been on Facebook. Do you have people in your life who, when you tell them about your relationship with Jesus, you find that there is a scoff or a mockery attached to their response to you. Maybe people that you work with, friends. Maybe people who even in in subtle ways make you feel silly for being a Christian. Or maybe you have some kind of habit in your life that leads you to sin because the Bethsaida places in our life doesn't have to be a person or a group of people. Maybe it could be a sin that you continue to go back to or maybe a limiting belief that you have about God or yourself. With this person I was speaking to last night and trying to just convince them of the love of Jesus, they were saying, but I'm not like you. I'm different. I I don't live the kind of life that you live. And so we talked about how this isn't about rules. It's about how God loves us no matter what because we break the rules all the time. And yet God still loves us, right? But maybe you have convinced yourself. Maybe you found yourself in a stuck place. God can't do anything in my life because I've done fill in the blank. And it's just not true. See, the power of this moment is actually in something very subtle in, in what Mark writes in his gospel. Again, it says he took the blind man by the hand. I love this. I love this because it tells us that God doesn't quit on us in our stuck place. He doesn't tell the man to leave down. He took him by the hand and he led him out of town. It's a big deal because he journeys with him. So we, when we think that maybe we have too many issues for God to do a work in our life, God would say, 
No, Jesus isn't limited by your sin or your brokenness or even the environment that you find yourself in. He didn't take him out of, the, uh, out of Bethsaida because he can't do miracles there, but because he had chosen not to do miracles there to prove a point, to teach a lesson. And so we would ask ourselves, what is the place where God would bring you out of your own stuck place? The only thing that God actually can't do anything with is a refusal to believe that God can do anything. But you might have to move. And all of that, by the way, is different than having uh, uh, questions. Refusing to believe like the city uh, isn't just, I have doubts every now and then, or I have big, serious questions for God. God welcomes your doubts and your questions. But you can't do anything with your refusal to believe or to be led by him. But Jesus will come to you in your broken, stuck place, and he will lead you to the place that you need to go. So the question is, are you willing to be led by Jesus? What might Jesus lead you out of or from or away from? Uh, Jesus leads people out of things by giving us his word. He tells us how to live. This is his perfect word, and he teaches us the way to live in it. Or he sends us people who will encourage or inspire or keep us accountable or challenge us to live according to God's word. So the point here, by the way, is not that Jesus has such high standards and miracles can only happen in perfect conditions. That's not the lesson. The point is that Jesus has so much grace that he will lead you into places that are more alive and out of places that feel stuck. So the question for us, again, is are you willing to leave the broken and the faithless places of your life? I find as I talk to people in the context of pastoral ministry or just being one Christian to another or trying to invite people into the way of Jesus, I find that the thing that gets people stuck the most and missing out on life with Christ the most is that we are so in love with the world that even the goodness of life with Christ doesn't actually seem appealing. And I could say until I'm blue in the face, that's just because you don't understand how good it is to be in life with Christ. And I can't convince you to love Jesus more than the world. So the question is, are you willing to leave? Jesus will lead you out. You have to be willing to leave. The third question as we look at this story would be this. Will you embrace the unusual for the breakthrough? Now, I want to be careful here because I, I want to not create a spitting ministry at Life Church. But I do think that we need to look back at the way Jesus performs this miracle and see what we can learn from it. Let's just be honest. Verse 23 is odd. He says, brings him by the hand, brings him out of the village, and then spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Most people spitting on his eyes and he asked him anything aren't going to hear the question because they're too busy falling back into sin, cussing at the guy who just spit on your face. He... He says, do you see anything? Ignoring the fact, like, do I see anything? Jesus, you owe me an apology. 
there's, there's meaning here, though. I promise you. I promise you that. In fact, it turns out that there's actually a Jewish tradi- tradition that, that would say there was a belief among the Jews that the spit of... Now, this is a strange thing to believe, but remember that they didn't have, like, you know, Moderna. Their, their understanding of, of scientific properties of things were, were different in those days. So put this in the con- historical, cultural, contextual moment that it was in. That, that the Jews would actually have a belief that the spit of the firstborn son in a family possessed healing qualities. I don't know where that came from. I'm kind of glad that that tradition has died out. Uh, but, but even though that sounds crazy, I want you to understand now in the moment that this blind man encountering Jesus would not have interpreted Jesus' spit the same way you and I would have. Because he was living in a different cultural moment than we are living in now. So Jesus' spit would have actually sent a specific message. Not, I hate you. But I intend to heal you. Jesus, after all, being the firstborn son of a family. So spit, I think, maybe served in this case actually to increase this man's faith. And then certainly to link this healing back to Jesus, right? Because God, after all, likes to do things that make it very obvious that it was him that did it. Now, let's, let's bring this into our cultural moment, into our context. Think about this moment in light of the last two years. Whew. We've been through a lot of discomfort, a lot of pain. I, I think in a lot of ways we still have pain ahead. We continue to be human, so no doubt that there will be pain ahead. And yet, as you look back at the last two years, God has been at work through it all. God has sustained his people through it all. He's been faithful. He's done miracles. And then he's done more miracles, right? But I want to be clear here. Because the lesson of all of this is not to use spit as a metaphor for us to be able to say God brought on a pandemic or political or social pain. I don't think that that's the point. And I don't believe that theologically, that, that, that COVID-19 was God's idea. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God wastes no opportunities. I do absolutely believe that the political tension and the, the social and racial tension in, our, in the United States, particularly over the last two years, was not God's doing, but man's doing. But I further believe that God does not waste a single moment to teach a lesson and to bring freedom. And so I can see over the last two years how God has used something that I didn't understand when it started. To bring change, to bring me out of some stuck places, to bring healing into some broken places in my life. And as a pastor, I can say he's done the same thing for our church, to bring us out of some stuck places, to bring healing into some broken places in our church, and to reveal some places where we need to continue to come back to Jesus for more, to ultimately bring us into fullness of life. What God wants to do in and through your life is always going to require trust. 
I think at the very foundation, we see Jesus spit on a man's face, and we should go, okay, lesson, trust Jesus, even if you don't understand it. Your faith in Jesus does not necessitate or require that you understand what he is doing. It requires that you obey what he is doing and where he is leading. Amen? Okay, so far, quick review. We've asked, what are you willing to bring to Jesus? We've asked, what would Jesus lead you from? We've asked, will you embrace the unusual for a breakthrough? And the fourth question that I would invite you to ask as you begin to look at a new year is, will you participate in the process? As you begin to create a framework for how you want to live in 2022, if you examine the details of this healing, this is a really good way to begin to answer the, or to ask this question. But first, I want you to take a look back at what Jesus did in this story, because at first glance, it actually looked like Jesus failed in this miracle. Look back at, at the way that it, it, it goes. He says, uh, he looks up and he says, do you see anything? He looks up and he says, they look like trees walking. I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Again, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was there at the creation of everything, the, the very Word of God himself, had to lay hands on a person a second time. Jesus, did you fail in this healing? Maybe you should stop spitting on people. No, actually, there's something intentional happening here because we see that the second time he lays hands on him, he prays for him, and then it says he could see clearly. He saw everything clearly. In 1993, in The New Yorker, there was a story about a man named Virgil who was 50 years old at the time. When he was five years old, he went blind. And by the time he was 50, there had been uh, the ability developed for him to have a surgery on his eyes, which would allow him to see. And the moment that the bandages came off uh, was recorded in a very interesting way in The New Yorker in 1993. And here is an excerpt from that story. It goes like this. The dramatic moment where the bandages are taken off of Virgil's eyes. The dramatic moment stayed vacant. It grew longer. The moment sagged. There was no cry of, I can see, that burst from Virgil's lips. He seemed to be staring blankly, bewildered, without focusing at the surgeon who stood before him still holding the bandages. It was only when the surgeon spoke saying, well, did a look of recognition cross Virgil's face. Virgil later said that in the first moment, he had no idea what he was seeing. There was light, there was movement, there was color, and it was all mixed up though, all meaningless, a blur. Then out of the blur came a voice that said, well, then and only then, Virgil said, did he finally realize that this chaos of light and shadow was a face, and indeed the face of his surgeon? When Virgil opened his eyes after being blind for 45 years, having had little more than an infant's visual experience than this long forgotten, there were no visual memories to support the perception. There, there was no world of experience and meaning awaiting him. He saw, but what he saw had no coherence. His retina and optic nerve were active, transmitting impulses, but his brain could not make sense of them. The, the article goes on to explain why that is. 
but it's actually been scientifically proven that just having your eyeballs work doesn't mean that the messages your brain is receiving make sense. And, and even with our like high school level science understanding, you get that, that makes sense. Your eyeball has to send a message and your brain then has to understand that message. So when a blind person receives sight, they need to learn to see all over again in Virgil's case, or maybe for this man, maybe for the first time ever. The brain suddenly doesn't just know everything. You have to learn. So now, think back to Jesus' failed miracle. I think that there's a couple of lessons that we can learn here. Number one is that Jesus did not actually fail at one miracle. He succeeded at two on purpose. So the first miracle was the miracle of the eyes. The eyes were functioning not at all, and then suddenly they were functioning completely. But the problem was that he couldn't understand what he was seeing. So the second miracle was to develop the connection between the eye and the brain. To, to partner sight with understanding. In, in leadership world, in church world, we call this vision. Vision would be the partnership of sight, what I see in the future, and understanding how am I going to get there. So we see Jesus split a miracle into two parts on purpose. And as the result, the man was not just healed in his eyes, he had healed vision. He was able to see and understand. Suddenly, a man who couldn't see anything was able to see and understand Jesus face to face. If that's not a powerful metaphor for spiritual healing, then I don't know what else would be. The, the second thing that we can see here is that there's a purpose in God's delay. God did not fail in that first healing prayer. He delayed on purpose. Jesus could have easily said, see and understand, and he would have opened his eyes and he would have seen and understood all at the same time. Jesus could have done that. This is the God who spoke and light suddenly existed. So Jesus was not limited in this moment. He was not modeling limitation of being human even. He did this on purpose. But the lesson for us is that when God delays, if we walk away before we see the fullness of God's work in our lives, we often miss God's intention. Have you ever prayed for patience? They tell you not to. Right? Don't pray for patience. Why? Because you'll have to practice patience. Otherwise, how are you going to know that you've got it? Right? Pray for, pray for money. What will God give you? Need. So that you can actually practice dependency and trust on God, your provider. Right? So you be careful, by the way. Careful what you pray for. That's a good lesson. But the lesson here actually is don't quit on God who will never quit on you. Don't quit on God's miracles just because they didn't happen in the timing that you would like them. I've talked to you many times, if you've been to Life Church before, about my mother who has Parkinson's. And we've talked about all the nuances of what it looks like for her to engage and process through healing. But she has to also do her part to be a part of the process. And the first part of the process is to understand that God works in phases and on, he takes us on a journey on purpose. And that even when it looks like God has failed you, God has never failed. I mean, we've lived through 2020. It looked a lot 
to a lot of people, maybe depending on what side of the political aisle you're on, maybe how many people you knew that got COVID, maybe the color of your skin, or how, all, like all the different kinds of lists could go on and on and on, for all of the reasons why so many different people said God had failed. Or God's people had failed. The church is dying and all blah, 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 blah. God has never failed. We just have to make sure that we stick in our relationship with God long enough to see what he is doing. Could you imagine being a farmer who plants seeds and gets frustrated because you don't see the crop tomorrow, so you quit your job, and you go get a job at the Circle K that just opened down the street, and then somebody else will come in and steward the harvest, and you will never get to see it. And you know what you'll do? You'll work down at the Circle K for the rest of your life saying farming doesn't work. while patient people who don't give up on God see the harvest. So we have to be patient, and we have to play our part. There's another part that we have to play as we ask the question, will you engage in the process, is you have to do the thing that the blind man did, which was be honest. When Jesus says, can you see anything? He didn't go, yep, I'm good. Everything's great, blessed and highly favored. We teach ourselves to do this in church world. And in fact, we, we do this with our sin issues all the time, with our brokenness constantly. People come into the church world, and we say, okay, now you come to church on a Sunday. Good job. For the rest of your life, pretend like you have it all together. And when anyone asks you how you're doing or if you ever have a need, don't say anything. Because the, the pastor will know that you're not a perfect Christian. Guess what? The pastor's not a perfect Christian. Sorry to burst your bubble. Not sorry at all. Our part in this, in this portion of the journey is to be honest. Honest with the people that are safe around us. But most importantly, to be honest with God. Don't pretend like you have it all together, especially not with God who knows that you don't have it all together. But also the blind man had to want to be fully healed. Don't settle for half a healing. Don't settle for half a full life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He didn't just say, I came to give you life after you die. Life begins now. Eternal life begins today. The moment that you met Jesus, eternal life began for you. And so in the new year, play your part. Be honest with Jesus about where you are. Be honest maybe even with yourself about where you really are. But don't settle for anything less than full life, even if it takes the rest of your life to come fully alive. It's worth it. So we ask what are you willing to bring to Jesus? What would you let Jesus lead you from? Will you embrace the unusual for the breakthrough? And will you participate in the process? And the final question, my final sermon point of 2021, is this question. What does moving forward look like for you? Listen again to verse 26. Jesus ends, or Mark ends this story by Jesus saying to him, sending him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Remember that village, that faithless, stuck place 
that I had to lead you out of so that I could do my work in you, don't even go back there. But I love the nuance of this because he does get to go home. The man goes home, but he says, don't go back into the village. Home represents rest and hope and a future for us. The village represents the stuck place. And I think that so much of God's work in our lives, so much of his healing and discipleship and the spiritual formation that we, that we are on a journey to develop in our lives, so much of it gets undone when we just go right back to the place that God pulled us out of. So the lesson is simple, but it's very, very important. When Jesus does a work in your life, you don't have to leave what is good about your community, your home. But you can't just keep living all the same way that you've always lived. Something has to be changed. So the, the, maybe the really specific question in, for 2022 is, are you looking for fixes or changes? A fix is temporary relief, right? A fix is like when you, you put duct tape over the leak on the side of your swimming pool. Just put duct tape on it. Well, do you want to fix it or do you want it to be changed? I think a lot of what we do in church is we look for a fix. We look for a fix. Very much the same way that a drug addict will look for a fix. God becomes a commodity on a Sunday morning that I can get a fix. And if I'm doing okay, once a month is good. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. You came to church today. There's Tuesday. There's Thursday. We used to have a running joke when we first planted the church. For some reason, for like six months in a row, Thursdays were just the hardest day of the week for us for a long time. And so in sermons, I used to say, man, Thursdays. And it just became a thing in the church plant days for a while. Like Thursdays were always the days we needed Jesus the most. And I don't know if it's Thursdays anymore, but I, what I do know is that I just need Jesus every single day. And if I come to church every Sunday and I'm the most faithful church attender that there is, or I preach a sermon every Sunday, I could still have a Thursday, sometimes on a Monday, where I just need to come back to Jesus, where I need to go home to him instead of going back to the village that got me stuck and messed up in the first place, or just pretending like everything's okay and I can just go back about my life. Is it going back to the village is like saying that you only value Jesus for his miracles. So we have to be careful, not just here, but in every moment of our lives. And in our disciple-making as well, as we go into 2022 and encourage other people to join the journey with Jesus, that we don't say this, that, that this Christian life is about attending church on a Sunday, because this is just one little tiny thing that we do as Christians together. Hopefully it's encouraging for you. But you have the rest of the hours of your week where you are going out and, and, and following Jesus and don't go back to the village as you do. And teach others to stay out of the village as well. So think over your life for a moment. What are the, we'll call them resolutions for this moment. What are the resolutions that you would need to make? If you were to make them and you, you could have confidence that you would keep a resolution. After hearing a sermon like this, what, what are you hoping will be different about your life a year from now? 
I, I just turned 37 and I was thinking about what I was like when I was 27. And I was in that moment simultaneously embarrassed and thanking God for, <laughs> for how, how different I am 10 years later. And I hope that by the time I turn 47, that I could feel the same way. That I could look at my life and think, man, God has led me out of so many more things. Some, some villages I didn't even know I was stuck in. Right? Or some villages that I'm not ready to leave yet. What are you hoping would be different a year from now or a decade from now? What are you willing to bring to Jesus Are you ready for whatever Jesus does? So this might be one of the most important questions that you ask as you begin a new year. Are there limits on what Jesus is allowed to do in your life? I mean, it might get weird. It might get uncomfortable. He might ask you to leave some things. Or he might spit on you. Probably not literally. But you might feel put out, uncomfortable. And I would just tell you, if 2022 ends up being the, one of the most uncomfortable years of your life, hopefully it's because you could look back and say it was one of the most faithful years of your life. Are you willing to leave forever those things? Are you committed to living a whole new way of life? And then we make this incredibly practical, and we would say, what are you asking Jesus to heal in your life today? What are the things that you're carrying to the finish line as you maybe feel like you're, you're hobbling across the finish line of 2021? What are the places where you either physically or emotionally or spiritually would ask Jesus, would you heal this in me? Because this story comes full circle. This is not a story about a weird encounter. This is a story about a man who is healed. Because this is the heart of Jesus. That as you make all of the commitments you'll make to him as you go into 2022, Jesus would look back at you and say, I want you to be whole. So what would you bring to be healed? Just as a as an invitation to you, I just want to say to you that, that after this service, I'm going to ask Marcus if he'll be at that wall right over there, and Elizabeth Curtis is going to be at that wall right over there, and they're just going to be available to pray with you. And these people, I know, uh, talk with God, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and there, are, there, are, is, there is evidence of them being uh, faithful, powerful servants of God, and so I just commend you to them if there's any area in your life where you need prayer. If you're watching online and there's any area in your life where you need prayer, uh, send us a, an, a message if you're not comfortable posting it in the comments and let us know uh, how, you need, how you need prayer. We want to pray with you. So people will be available for you to pray after service today. But before we finish our very last service of this year, I would like to pray as your pastor and as your friend uh, one final blessing for 2021 over your life. It's an honor to be one of the, one of the pastors get to lead you to Jesus on a regular. I pray for you, and I pray for you now, blessed 
in the presence and in the love of Jesus. Life Church, my friends, as you end a year and as you begin a new one, may you encounter the love and the grace of Jesus. May you be led out of the places where you feel stuck and into freedom. And may you live in that freedom for the rest of your days. May you experience the uncomfortable and the comforting healing of Jesus. May you see God like you have never seen him before, your vision being touched by him. May you learn to walk in new ways as you follow the leadership of Jesus. May you be blessed in the coming new year. And as you walk in full life, may you be a blessing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your leadership of this church and of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.